Welcome to Voices of Resilience, a special series from the Vital Voices podcast, where we're sharing stories of courage, commitment, innovation, and perseverance from women leaders in unprecedented crisis. I'm your host, Elise Nelson. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by an old friend of Vital Voices, Anne O'Leary. She is currently the chief of staff for the California governor, Gavin Newsom. Anne brings decades of experience in government, politics, social policy, and nonprofit leadership. She served as senior policy advisor to Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign and co-executive director of the Clinton-Kane Transition Project. She co-founded the national nonprofit organization, the Opportunity Institute. As a continuation of her work as senior vice president, of Next Generation, where she launched a national early childhood education initiative, Too Small to Fail, in collaboration with the Clinton Foundation. We're thrilled for Anne to join us and give us some firsthand perspective on leading through crisis as California confronts not only COVID-19, but ongoing calls for racial justice and so much more. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you, Elise, and thanks for all your leadership with Vital Voices. It's so great to be here today. So I'd love to just start off by talking a little bit about your role um, in Governor, um, Governor Newsom's uh, administration. What, what brought you to the role? Um, and for those who aren't familiar with the working of political offices, um, maybe to talk a little bit about, you know, what does a chief of staff of an entire state do? Yeah, well, thank you so much. You know, I think it's important just to recognize how large California is. So California, if you compared it as a state to, you know, countries around the world would be the fifth largest economy in the world. So the state of California's government is a a really massive undertaking. And the chief of staff in the state of California is very much like the chief of staff in the White House, which is to say that we are, you know, I, my job is to, of course, to support the governor. Uh, We have a large uh, staff here in the governor's office. And then, of course, a large state employee, uh, about 200,000 state employees. 150 people in our governor's office. And what we're really doing is everything from helping to run the government. So we have a, a person who's head of the cabinet affairs helping to run all the cabinet secretaries. We have a legal division, a legislative division, a communications division. So every day what I'm trying to do is to really help the governor um, realize the vision that he came to the job with and implement on it and make sure that we're running California. So on an ordinary day, uh, that's a big job. And then of course with COVID-19 and racial equity and our economic um, pieces, there's, uh, you know, been a tremendous amount to do over the last months. So once COVID-19 hit, obviously, in the United States, uh, Governor Newsom really, I think, set the tone for so many American states, shutting down the state pretty early and quite forcefully. I think um, California, obviously, which you you mentioned is, and I, I'm a proud Californian myself, having grown up there, um, as you said, the fifth largest economy in the world. I can imagine shutting down, although he, you know, sort of acted very quickly, you all acted very quickly and, and, um, you know, decisively, but I think at the same time, I can only imagine the many conversations and all of what had to have been weighed in, in, in shutting down the fifth largest economy in the world. 
Yeah, you know, one of the things that's interesting um, is that we had California in some sense was um, provided a unique window into what was going on. Of course, we are a global entry for so many people coming to the United States and we have such a global economy. So very early on, in fact, in December, we began hearing um, and really trying to understand what was happening in China. And then in January, um, really began uh, very much uh, looking at it and thinking about the impact on California and were provided with what was then a request and really became in some sense an opportunity for us to do a lot more preparedness than other states, which is a request came in from the federal government asking if California would partner with the federal government to help repatriate, bring back home, American citizens and permanent residents who were in China uh, who needed to leave and come back to their families in the United States. So we worked with the federal government to bring uh, back six uh, flights into the United States in uh, late January and into February. Uh, that allowed us to uh, make sure that we were safely returning people home. We also worked with the federal government. Um, California had two of only six um, airports, uh, commercial airports in the United States, LAX and um, SFO, San Francisco Airport, uh, that were taking flights from China during that time. So because of that, we were doing a tremendous amount of preparedness with our local public health officials in those communities. We were implementing on what, what had been you know, a decades in the making um, pandemic planning in California. So we really got started quite early. As we looked at what was going on, we were quite concerned, obviously, not just what was happening in China, but what we were seeing in Italy and other places. And we had a lot of global leaders um, at, in our businesses who were CEOs who were dealing with the impacts around the world. And they were really encouraging us to look at what we might be able to do early. So Governor Gavin Newsom actually became the first governor in the entire United States to say we needed to have a statewide stay-at-home order. And the way it came about the day that that happened is that in some sense, we had been really looking at the modeling of what might occur um, if the if we didn't do a stay-at-home order in terms of the number of people who would get ill and have to be hospitalized. And we had become, in some sense, a little bit numb to it and realized that we needed to actually get that information out there. As soon as it became public, it became so much even more crystal clear, not only to us, but to the public about how much we needed to act and how quickly. So the governor was very decisive and decided that day to go ahead and issue the stay-at-home order. Of course, then we saw places like New York and others follow suit uh, in the following days, uh, but California was the first to leave. Mm, yeah. And you've also, I, I, I know, put in place um, really a, a phased reopening plan quite early, quite early on. And, and how were you able to map out that plan? I mean, I realize that, again, is, is probably even more complicated is figuring out how to safely reopen. Yeah, so we did really careful planning to look at preparedness. So we wanted to make sure that we had metrics in place to make sure that we could do things like make sure that we had enough testing. So we were testing people. We could make sure that people had the personalized protective equipment that they needed, uh, both face coverings, but also then the more serious um, you know, N95 uh, masks that, that uh, healthcare workers and others needed. Uh, we wanted to make sure that our we had um, you know, capacity to deal with any um, hospitalization needs. Needs. And we also wanted to make sure that we could open in a different way. So we actually uh, formed, uh, the governor formed a, a task force on jobs, um, business and jobs um, uh, recovery, and asked me to co-chair that task force. We worked really closely. We have over 100 people on that task force who are business leaders, labor leaders, social justice leaders. 
working with us to ensure that we we put forth a public health guidance that was informed by their by practice uh, so that we could redo and rethink how we safely reopen the economy. So we worked really hard to put guidance out. Um, there was a time in which you might have seen that the CDC was doing something similar and the White House decided not to allow the CDC to issue such guidance. We had no, um, no, no pause here. We actually went forward with that guidance in a really thoughtful way. So what you see happening in California is that even the openings, um, our stores look really different. People, of course, are wearing uh, face coverings. Um, They're you know, required to have limitations in terms of the numbers of people allowed in restaurants and stores. And we also did something uh, that was different. In fact, we um, worked really closely with the other Western states. I do a regular call with the other chiefs of staff, and we um, made uh, clear that we should um, actually think about the local variations because our counties are so different. Um, you know, the rural northern county may be very different than what's happening in Los Angeles. So we've said to the, the counties, you need to look at your data very carefully. You need to be tracking every day to understand what percentage of the um, what percentage of your population are being able to be tested. When you do test them, what percentage are positive? Do you have the preparedness in place? And only when the answer to all those questions are yes, will we allow you to actually move forward. So it's allowed us to have something what we call a dimmer switch, which means that you know you begin to open uh, slowly, and then if you need to close back a bit, then you'll do that. And so we're really implementing on that and trying to be quite careful and safe as we go forward. Now, obviously, being a um, a state where so much um, television and movie production is happening, um, and obviously so much tourism, those are industries I can imagine that were very hard hit. How are you managing the sort of reopening of of those industries, or how are you beginning to think about them? Yeah, we, you know, we're in constant conversation with uh, all of those industries, and we're working also very closely with the labor unions that represent workers in those industries. They've been collaborating very closely together to ensure that as workers come back to work and customers come back to um, utilize um, you know, different spaces, that they're doing it in a way that's very, very safe. And so what we decided to do, particularly in the entertainment industry, is that there was a really good collaboration that was going on between the workers' unions and the um, industry. Uh, to think about how they would all be comfortable safely reopening. So we endorsed their, uh, you know, work together and said that we would be willing to allow them to, you know, set those guidance. And so we could endorse that. And so that was a really uh, collaborative and positive partnership. You know, we are very, you know, cognizant of the fact that this is is going to be a you know hard road. Uh, if you look at what happened in 1918, many people have seen the graphs by now. But you know, wave one was a, a small wave, and then wave two ended up being the much bigger wave, and then of course there was a third wave. And so we are very realistic that um, this is by no means over. We've got a long way to go, and won't won't really be able to uh, settle into a regular pace of life until there's, of course, a treatment or a vaccine. So we need to be able to um, work closely with industry uh, so that they can be safe, but also if they need to close back down, they would be asked to do so. And what do you think are going to be some of the long-term impacts on the economy in particular? 
You know, some of them are positive and some of them are not. So I think, you know, on the positive, you look at, we, we track every day what's happening with our air pollution and with our traffic. And, you know, one of the positive things is we've just succeeded, we've able to, you know, in a way that none of us would have been boldly able to do, just do this massive experiment and what it takes to do telework as everyone around the globe has done. And so for some industries, we've been able to see that, you know, there's actually you know, no reason for everybody to go back into the office and that that can help both with productivity, uh, with family work balance, but also with the environment. And so I think that there's a lot of really positive change, I think, that can come out of this, you know, great social experiment that we went forward on. At the same time, there's also just incredible devastation. I think that the places that we're most worried about are the small businesses in California uh, that are really teetering on the edge of not being able to ever come back because they just don't have the capital. So we've been doing everything we can to ensure that um, our small businesses can both have access to the federal loans that have been put forward and that we put some state monies into trying to help and do everything we possibly can uh, to help the small businesses, which really are the engine of the California economy. And we just have so much more work to do to support small businesses. So, Anne, you you have worked with many leaders in your career. Um, and I wonder, I mean, what what has this crisis taught you about leadership, your own leadership, um, you know, the leadership of your governor, watching other mayors and governors um, and heads of state around the world step up? And what, what have you learned? Um, because, of course, nothing more important than leadership, good leadership in a time of crisis and that sort of authentic and, and trust that a leader builds um, with their constituency or with their followers. Yeah, well, I think one of the things, you know, and I, I realized I didn't fully answer your first question, which is just how I came to this job. And, um, you know, I worked for Hillary Clinton for many years for many different points. And she was somebody who taught me and, and Gavin Newsom is very similar, which is just the importance of intellectual curiosity. And, you know, it's not enough to um, just get a briefing book. You really need to be a just a voracious consumer of what's happening because this is unprecedented. So we're trying to understand the science. We're trying to understand the societal impacts. We're trying to understand it, all how all these pieces fit together. And then you need to make decisions. And so I think that, you know, what I see in both Gavin Newsom and Hillary Clinton is just this incredible intellectual curiosity, voracious appetite for information. And you have to then also have that information way that works for you. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, you know, getting data dashboards every day as we do and asking for the right data. So for example, you know, making sure that we know the racial and ethnic disparities that are happening in terms of testing or in terms of our death rates, um, our positivity rates. So asking for the right information is really important in terms of leadership. Um, the other piece I would say is being decisive, whether it's me or the governor, I think the biggest gift we can give our team is to be able to show them that even though we may not have all the perfect information because we never will, we must move forward, we must make decisions, and we must provide clarity to the people of California who are relying on us to do that. And so I think um, just showing that it's got, these are hard decisions, but you have to make them in real time. And then the third thing is probably more personal, which is something that I've really embraced in a way that I never have before, is how important it is to take care of yourself during this time. Mm. I think um, as women in particular, we often leave ourselves last. And I, you know, at the beginning of this, I um, was just working 18 hours a day. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't eating very well. 
And, you know, some of my friends just said, Anne, you, you can't do this. This isn't going to work. And so, I, and so I've been a lifelong runner and I got back into running and I've been running five miles every morning and eating well and trying to sleep six hours a day. And I um, have to say that it made an extraordinary difference and just realized like I can be a much better person, leader, um, you know, member of this team if I take care of myself. And I think we just don't do enough of that. And I really have realized just how critical it is in, in this most stressful time. Mm. Well, Anne, you're inspiring me. That's that's <laughs> incredible that you can you can have the massively huge high stress job that you have, run five miles a day, sleeping six hours. That's that doesn't sound like that much. <laughs> I have to tell you, I did ask uh, Dr. Galley, who's our Secretary of Health and Human Services. I told him, I said, Dr. Galley, I could either sleep seven hours or I can do six hours of sleeping and one hour of running. What do you think? And he said, do the hour of running. So <laughs> I'm doing uh, doing the. <laughs> running and the less sleeping for now, but someday I'll balance it out. Oh, wow. Well, I know obviously we are, um, we are in the midst of a, of, of truly a, a national reckoning. Um, the Black Lives um, Matter movement is mobilizing so many people. And we know certainly that, um, that COVID disproportionately impacts communities of color. And, um, you know, amidst this pandemic, as as we've as we've seen so many take to the streets, and I quite frankly find it really inspiring, particularly in the midst of COVID, to see so many people um, taking to the streets. You know, following um, you know these these horrific but painfully not um, not a new phenomenon of the murder of black men and women who are unarmed, potentially asleep in their homes. Um, you know, really calling for for racial and um, and just racial justice and also just systemic change. Um, can you talk a bit about the Black Lives Matter movement in California, um, and also the governor's response? And and if there are any changes that you've been thinking about or he's been thinking about um, that are on the horizon. Yeah, well, let me start by saying, you know, when we came, when Governor Newsom was elected in November of 2018, we really tried to, with great clarity, look at what we wanted to do in his first year in office, and equity and justice were very central to our agenda. So there were some very powerful moments in the first year of the governor's term that literally were, you know, in some sense, life-changing for me and for the people who got to work on them. The first moment was when Governor Newsom, with very great moral clarity, decided to put a moratorium on the death penalty in California. California, of course, has uh, the largest uh, death row in the country. And um, it was a very, very big moment um, for racial justice in the criminal justice system, racial equity, and a, no a, motion, a notion that we just, it's, it's not acceptable to move forward with the death penalty. So that started our time in office. And then the second piece that was really important is that there was a, a man who was killed um, in, um, here in, in Sacramento named Stefan, Stefan Clark. Uh, and we came into office, uh, a black man, uh, who was killed by the police. And we came into office as a part of that movement. And there was a great call during that time uh, to make sure that we did a better job of making sure that we helped with the standard for police use in terms of, in terms of deadly force. So how do they use force um, in a confrontation? And so we actually, in California, we um, passed the, the 
most stringent um, laws in the country, in the nation, in terms of the standard for use of force and in terms of police. And so that happened last year and um, it was really very um, monumental and it was a lot of coming together with civil rights leaders, with Black Lives Matters leaders, uh, with um, law enforcement as well trying to get this right. So we had deep relationships in the community in working on this. So of course, when um, George Floyd was killed, uh, it was obviously so uh, horrible and dramatic. And I think, you know, one of the things that in some sense you think about what was happening is that people were at home and they were seeing these images and sometimes we're so busy in our lives that we've become hardened to seeing those images. So we were able to see them in a way that we didn't maybe wake up in enough earlier. And so I think that the governor really thought, you know, what can I do? So he really um, tried to at first just really listen and talk and look and, and see what more we can do. While that was going on, you know, we saw these amazing, beautiful, peaceful protests happening all over the California, but we also saw some troubling trends happening in terms of how the police were using um, certain control measures to control the crowds that were coming into the, the protests. And of course, we were dealing with a pandemic during the same time. And so, um, you know, the governor actually asked uh, us to pull together experts to really help think through how can we do a better job to allow people to peacefully protest and not use certain, um, you know, uh, demonst you know, ways of controlling the crowd, such as rubber bullets and others. And so a woman named Latifa Simon, who's just an amazing leader here in California, and Ron Owens, who had led the uh, community policing and the Obama administration, helping us to really think about how we can uh, do more in this area. And then of course, um, the governor also made very clear that there's no place for chokeholds um, in um, you know, detaining somebody or, or restraining somebody. And so I uh, made that forcefully clear here in California. So I think we um, you know, really uh, just feel like that that has been so critical. But then the final point I'll make is that already we were every day waking up to look at the racial and ethnic disparities in um, COVID-19. And one of the things that struck me personally is that I realized that while I was looking at these numbers and they were troubling and we get them by age breakdown. So we were seeing, for example, uh, people who are working age, you know, 18 to 49 years old, more um, dramatically more Latinx, dramatically more uh, blacks uh, were getting sick because they were essentially the essential workforce going out into the community, uh, helping during this time and then therefore getting ill. And I worried that although we were getting this data, I wasn't certain that we were doing enough to address it. And so the governor and I and others said, let's look at what we can do to make sure that uh, our racial equity um, agenda extends really deeply into making sure that we're doing enough to make sure we're addressing these gaps um, as we see them. And so we're trying to do much more of the digging deeper. And I think everybody needs to do that as we go forward. Hmm. And thank you so much for your incredible work and, and for, for letting us steal some of your time today to hear all of what you're doing. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Elise. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening to the special edition of the Vital Voices podcast. We hope that you're doing all you can to keep yourselves, your families, your teams, and your communities safe and healthy. If you'd like to support our work with women leaders in this country and around the world, you can donate to Vital Voices on our website at vitalvoices.org. Or you can text VITAL, V-I-T-A-L, to 4144. 
four four. That's vital to four one four four four. Stay safe and remember that we will get through this unsettling time together.